0: Welcome, citizens. You're listening to New Amsterdam Radio, the podcast for creatives. Here, thinkers and doers always have a key to the city. The mayor is in, so office hours
1: start now. New Amsterdam Radio starts now. What's going on, everyone? This is the slightly refreshed New Amsterdam Radio presented by SeatGeek. You know, when I'm trying to figure out what's going on in my town... I check out SeatGeek, you know, shows for sports and all that jazz. Use promo code FLOBITO, that's F-L-O-B-I-T-O, for $20 off your first order. And you know what I use SeatGeek for the most this year? Baseball games, because you all know I love baseball. Let's go Mets, my personal preference. It's all good. So being able to sit down with creatives that love the sport of baseball as much as I do is always fun. Enter David A. Kelly who writes a series of chapter books for children called The Ballpark Mysteries. What really is kind of a throwback to the Nancy Drew or Hardy Boys mysteries of my youth mixed with some history of America's pastime. You're going to enjoy this one. I really think you do. And if you have projects of your own and you want me to check out, or we'll just get feedback on or just connect with. At New Amsterdam on Instagram, New underscore Amsterdam on Twitter and NewAmsterdam.com. That's Amsterdam. That I talked about being slightly refreshed. If you are looking at your device, your podcasting device, you'll notice there is a new logo this week and beyond for New Amsterdam Radio. I wanted something that was fresh. I wanted something to really underscore the mayor's office and what it means to go all the way to the top and chat with the mayor himself. And also, people were confusing our show, thinking that we were broadcasting out of Amsterdam, the Netherlands, and not Los Angeles. From a guy from New York. <laughs> Awkward. Anyway, let me know what you think either way. Uh you hit me up personally at Flobal Voice on Twitter. But enough of me advertising things. Here's my chat with David A. Kelly. welcome back to new Amsterdam radio the podcast for creatives it is i the mayor flobo boys in the mayor's office hanging with people who are doing the dang thing and even though it's october the postseason and my metis are out of it sob (laughs) i'm with someone who loves baseball just as much as i do i give it up for arthur dvd kelly and i i want to say something uh off the rip i like the fact you're writing books for kids how's it going
0: great it's going great thank you very much i'm really happy to be here flobo and uh join you on the podcast and uh, it's fun to be writing books for kids, and it's fun to be writing books about baseball for kids. So uh, I've got a series called The Ballpark Mysteries, and I'm happy to discuss that and any other part of the writing process. So
1: well, let's get into it. The ballpark yeah. mysteries, emerging of the two. I mean, I was a kid. I like some mysteries that weren't too spooky. You know, a little bit of Scooby Doo action, but you mix the two. What was the the idea to do that?
0: Yeah, so uh, as you said, actually, I certainly was a Scooby Doo fan as well as an Encyclopedia Brown and Hardy. What was your favorite Scooby Doo <laughs> series?
1: I'm just going to ch- jump in here. What's your favorite Scooby Doo series? Say it, it again. Your favorite Scooby Doo, your classic Scooby Doo, 13 classic Ghosts. Yeah. Oh,
0: okay, okay, okay. Yeah. <laughs> So, uh, yeah, I love the classic Scooby Doos and then, um, you know, Encyclopedia Brown books and Hardy Boys books. And uh, so you know, I was a big mystery fan, but um, I never kind of thought I'd become an author. I actually uh, went to college for computer science and technology. So I started going down that path. But I've got two sons, uh, two boys, Stephen and Scott, when they were younger. They were playing a lot of baseball and they were reading a lot of mystery books and sports books. And I kind of thought, hey, maybe there's an opportunity here to mix those things up. So that's where I came up with the idea for my ballpark mystery books. And uh, the ballpark mystery books are basically a series of mysteries set in major league stadiums. So kind of think of Red Sox mystery, a Yankees mystery. And I've got two main characters, cousins, Kate and Mike, who go to different baseball stadiums to see a game or take a tour. And then they encounter a mystery. So that's that's the layout of the series.
1: And the level is for elementary or middle school? Yeah,
0: elementary kids, um, ideally kind of ages six to nine. It's kind of second, third, fourth grade. But I've got readers as young as kindergarten and as old as sixth grade because they get hooked on the books. And the books have a little bit of nonfiction information about the team or the stadium or the team's history in the back of the book. So um, they tend to get hooked on that kind of stuff and read them as they come out. So they're a lot of
1: fun. Everyone has an idea, and I'm sure there was a a moment in that process where you're like, will anyone even care? Is this a good idea or not? Like what pushed you over the line to say, no, we're we're doing this. We're going to sit down there and make this a possibility.
0: Yeah, so that's a great question. Um, You know, I've gone through my life. I've, I've had other ideas, and they're definitely not all great ideas, I can tell you that. Um, And it was just something about this I started kind of thinking about my kids are reading a lot of mystery books and a lot of sports books and I kind of thought geez sports mixed mystery seems like a really good idea so I started looking around libraries and bookstores I really couldn't find any I found sports books and mystery books but I didn't find any baseball mysteries specifically or even football mysteries for kids. And I mm-hmm. thought, this seems like such a great idea. Maybe I should give it a try. Now, the problem was I'd never written a book before. Um, I had been doing other types of writing. I'd done some travel articles for newspapers and magazines. And I've been doing technology writing about computers and technology and things like that. And I thought, how hard could it be? You I'll write some children's books. These things are about 100 pages long, maybe 10,000 words. Seems kind of easy. I got to tell you, it's not easy. And I mm-hmm. learned the hard way. Um, even though I had a good idea, I kind of sat down, tried to do it. Um, I did a few things. I, I looked for other books out there, and I kind of followed the format of what they had, and that was kind of a good way to get into it. It didn't really make the stories work, but it was a good direction to head in. And it took me about three and a half years to kind of figure out how to write that first book. I went through three or four revisions, like full revisions of the book, till I finally got it to a point where it was going to work for a publishing house, uh, which is Random House, to kind of bring it out. So it's it's definitely a process. you got to kind of think about how, how good your idea is and kind of look at the market and see what else is out there and then find a way to make it happen.
1: Well, uh, congratulations. I, I had no idea it was uh, published through Random House. That's uh, not an easy thing to land. I, I guess that must have been a process to you, getting know, the idea and comments about the other publishers and imprints imprint to see what would be the right fit for you?
0: Yeah, so uh, that is that is definitely the hard part in publishing or, or authoring a book is, is getting a publisher and getting it out to market. And I came up with this idea for this mystery series called The Ballpark Mysteries. I thought it was good. I wrote the first one and then I rewrote it and I rewrote it. And I was looking for a publisher and there's lots of ways you can do that. You typically have to find an agent these days, um, but you can also go to conferences. There's children's book conferences uh, where you can meet agents and editors from publishing companies. And sometimes that works for people. Um, but I was looking for an agent and I finally reached out to another author who wrote similar types of mystery books and I actually asked him just as a, you know, as a favor, you know, do you have an agent that you're working with because I'm looking to place this book? And he said, no, I don't have an agent, but I have an editor at Random House. Would you like their contact information? I said, yeah, absolutely. So I actually ended up directly emailing a, uh, an editor at Random House and described the story and they said they'd take a look at the at the manuscript, and they did. And uh, about a month later, I got a letter back or a, new, a letter back from them saying that it was uh, it was trash, it was garbage, it wasn't written well. But, <laughs> oh, no. uh, the mystery wasn't good. The characters were bad. The sentences were too long. The words were too hard, and there was no way they could publish it. Um, but they gave me some feedback on things that I could fix, and they also said they'd be willing to look at it if I revised it. So that's kind of how I got my foot in there, and it still took a couple of years beyond that to get to the point where they bought the manuscript.
1: That was a story. I didn't. I had a twist and turn in it. I had no idea. <laughs> was, yeah. Oh, oh, congratulations on your perseverance. I probably got upset and threw the manuscript in the trash, but you kept at it. That's great.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
1: When you had the concept from your network, whether that's your friends, family, those who need the book first, uh, the Alpha group, was, was it an instant buy-in or did you have to sell them on it?
0: Uh, in this case, it was actually pretty much an instant buy-in. And, and what's nice about this concept was it's, you know, baseball mysteries. It's really easy to get across, you know, what I'm trying to achieve here is mystery set in baseball stadiums and people get it, you know, Red Sox mystery, Yankees mystery. And they say, yeah, that sounds like a pretty cool idea. Um, it it comes down to the execution and that's the, that was the problem I had is that the first manuscripts I wrote just simply weren't interesting. There wasn't enough action. There was too much talking. The, the, the mysteries didn't start till later in the book. You know, there's a bunch of things I had to learn about the process, but, um, the concept, you know, that was what encouraged me to go forward. I've told you I've had lots of ideas over my life, but only a few are, are, are good, I think. Uh, and that was what gave me an indication. This might be a good idea as people were like, yeah, they, they bought into it right away.
1: Oh yeah. Okay. That's always a good sign. You know, when you have a hot concept and people get it, you know, sometimes yeah. that's the hardest thing when you, you feel like you're speaking a whole different language and your friends don't get whatever that it is. you know. Right. Absolutely. Now I've been I've been told and 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 we've discussed this in barbershops and on podcasts that the very sport itself baseball is dying. The kids are starting into it they like other sports now they want to do esports which is not a bad thing. I do esports as well, but it isn't yeah. the same of being in a stadium touching the fresh cut grass. What do you make of this? Is it true? Is it just is this hyperbole? What to say to baseball in your opinion?
0: No, I got to say, I think it's true. Unfortunately for me, um, I definitely think there's a decrease in, in in baseball interest over the past ten years, kind of a thing. Um, and um, you know, I, I think kids definitely are are looking, as you said, at esports. Are looking at soccer. Uh, the the basketball is huge. Football is huge. And you know, still a lot of people love baseball. But I think the length of the game is kind of hard for today's generation. You know, TikTok generation. They want everything instantly. Um, and it's uh, it's become expensive too to attend games in some cities like I'm, I'm, I'm in Boston. So going to Boston Red Sox game, bring the family. You're going to spend lots of money, not just to get in the gate, but to uh, to buy some food, some hot dogs. Uh, some of the stadiums are addressing that and they actually have some family friendly prices and family friendly nights. And so that's kind of good, definitely in yeah. some of the cities. You can have a real, uh, real nice night out and a lot of fun for not too much money. But, um, you know, it, it's got some challenges. So I, I hope that they find a way to connect with uh, younger kids, because I think that's really incredibly important for the future of baseball. And I think baseball knows that as well. I know they're doing outreach efforts and really trying to reach um, broad swaths of younger uh, potential viewers and, and fans.
1: It's actually uh, true. I was in uh, where was I? I? I traveled a lot this year <laughs> on baseball tourism, I should say. I, I think I was in I was in Arizona. Yes, I was in Arizona, and they had I got like full for like twenty four dollars with the with the cash. It was great, like the yeah. value meals and whatever uh, to get everyone through the door. And I guess for me growing up. And I'm going to ask you this too. For me, growing up, the appeal was hearing the comforting voices on the radio. My dad was watching or, or listening to the shows, Tim McCarver or Ralph Kiner, was on the call. And I guess growing up, it became like a familial thing. Uh, is that also something that that pulled you in as a kid? Like, how did you get involved in the sport? What made you a fan today?
0: You know, I think what made me a fan today is actually my sons, because I I grew up actually in upstate New York and central New York State, and and we didn't really have a team. I mean, we had the Mets and the Yankees, but they were four hours away, and all the teams were at least four hours away. Red Sox were four hours away. My favorite team back then was the Baltimore Orioles for some reason, but uh, I like the logo, I think. Um, but, uh, what really got it into me, uh, got me into it this time was, was my son, Steven and Scott, cause we live out uh, outside of Boston in the Boston area. And it's hard, hard to live here without being a Red Sox fan. Um, so they had a really great time getting into the game and, um, really learning baseball and playing baseball. We used to let them stay up late if they could watch the Red Sox game. So that was always a thrill for them. Um, and, that, that, you know, I just kind of got connected there and thought this is just such a great idea and a fun way to spend time. And, and also it's kind of cool. The books, uh, the, the ballpark mystery books are kind of fun because they kind of connect kids oftentimes to grandparents. So you often have parents as well as grandparents who have a favorite team or favorite players. And um, it's something they can share and talk about. Um, when a lot of times grandparents don't necessarily have a, a strong connection, you know, to the, to a child's world. But when the children are thinking about baseball, that's something that a lot of grandparents uh, can talk about and connect with and at least share um, share some love or share some excitement.
1: So I'm fascinated uh, in your research process because I, for someone who has written uh, content for uh, youth as well, there isn't really like a a quote unquote dumbing down. You have to do the same research, you have to find the same fact, and then you have to convey that in a way that people can understand. Uh, When you are writing a a ballpark mystery, do you go out to the parks? Do you spend hours in the archives? Like, do you, like, how do you approach the mystery first, the, the lore, all that stuff?
0: Yeah, great question. So the ballpark mystery books, these these books are, again, for kind of second, third, fourth grade. They end up being about 10,000 words long. They're called chapter books. Um, so it's kind of like 10 chapters of a thousand words. And it, it sounds like a lot of words. There's a lot of words to write. But there's actually not a lot of detail that I can put into these books because they are for kind of second, third graders. If they were aimed for fifth or sixth or seventh, you'd really want to dig into details and statistics and things like that um but these books have to move along pretty quickly they have to be a lot of action i can't have a lot of expository where i'm giving too much history of the team or statistics or details on the players so um at one level i do have to do a lot of research but i don't have to do a lot of detailed deep research um in terms of specific things because i'm just not able to convey that in these books but yeah what i what i do is actually for each of the books that i'm going to write and there's actually 22 books in the series there's 18 different teams that i've covered so far out of the 30 total teams and there's four super specials that cover su- um things like the world series and the little league world series and a subway series and the baseball hall of fame but for each of the books that i'm writing i spend about three or four or five days on location research so if i'm going to write about the minnesota twins I travel out to Minnesota, I will go to two or three baseball games, I'll take a tour of the stadium just like you would take a tour of the stadium, and then I also look around the town, because sometimes my characters, Mike and Kate, go outside the stadium and they do something in the town or city that the team is located in, so I've got to kind of suck it all in. I take a lot of notes and I take a lot of pictures, because pictures are a really great way for me to remember details of the things I could possibly write about. And then once I've done the research trip, I come back to my home office and I sit down at my desk and I kind of write down a list of all the coolest things that I saw or the coolest things I learned about either the stadium or the team's history. And then I kind of try to figure out how that's all going to fit into a mystery story.
1: When you say you take the tour, do you go on your own or do you do like the official tour uh, that ballparks have? I'm just curious.
0: Yeah. So good question. I, I actually just take the official tour, uh, of whatever the ballparks offer. They usually offer two or three tours a day. Um, and I just sign up for the 10 AM tour. It's usually they're about two hours long. They take you to different parts of the stadium. They're all kind of similar. Once you've done a few of them, um, you see the press room, you kind of see the dugout, you see the field, um, you see different areas, you see the suites. Um, and then you see usually if there's a hall of fame or special area, of the stadium. So i again, it's a great way to take some, um, behind the scene pictures, um, and I have to always pay attention because I never know where my characters are going to need to go in the stadium and, and yeah. what kind of details I'm going to need to describe. Um, sometimes you do have to make up some stuff, um, but that's one of the things about about being a fiction uh, writer is you can do that kind of thing.
1: You were saying that with the tour. I was like, yeah, they're all pretty the same, but the the one I took at Petco was kind of just like a a sales meeting. It's like you could we could buy these, you could upgrade to these. <laughs> like, hey, 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 hey. <laughs> not, I, yeah. I, haven't, I haven't done that one yet, but I'll look forward to it. I bring
0: plenty of cash
1: I guess. <laughs> right. and giant sack of dollar signs on them. Yeah. <laughs> what what does David Kelly do for fun? You know, I, I know this is your craft, this is your work, but we are not writing. What do you do just to you know wind down?
0: yeah well uh i actually do a lot of canoeing uh i've got these uh, small uh, personal it's like a kayak so you think of it as kayaking uh but here in the boston area I go down to cape cod a lot there's some beautiful ponds and areas in the uh, bay cape cod bay that i can go canoeing or kayaking in um and in the summer uh it's really great in the fall it's beautiful right now it's october so really nice to go out there i'd like to do hiking and uh, you know i tend to read as well so read lots of uh, histories and and other types of books as well
1: forgive me uh, because i because i grew up in brooklyn um is the motion in canoeing the same as kayaking or is a different approach because it's a different uh, boat craft secret yes so so the
0: canoes i have it's basically an individual canoe so it's basically ten and a half foot uh personal canoe so it's really much like a kayak you sit on the, the floor of it and you use basically a kayak paddle so you are actually just doing that kind of cross paddling on either side A larger traditional canoe, you have a single oar, and you're kind of paddling on one side or the other. Mm. Uh, But for these canoes, they're called Hornbeck canoes. They're made in upstate New York uh, near Lake George. Um, They're really great for, they're about 15 pounds, so they're super light. You can get them in and out of the water easy, and uh, it's just easy to zip around, ponds, lakes. I wouldn't go in a really wavy ocean in them because they have an open top, and you don't want to kind of sink the boat,
1: but uh, that's a lot of fun. (laughs) You don't.
0: Uh... You don't. (laughs)
1: I'm curious, uh, just because I'm a fat kid at heart. Uh, When you're watching games, what is your favorite junk food or the ballpark food? I should say.
0: Uh, You know, I go for the pretzels first, and then the hot dogs, and of course, all washed down by beer. Um, Hard to hard to beat that.
1: Classic. Uh, I'm not a hot dog guy, but pretzels and beer are usually my go-to. I just something but a warm pretzel and salty ones is watching the game. That's like it's classic. You gotta
0: have salt, yeah. And they don't always have salt up here in Boston, so that's something you gotta watch out for.
1: I'll make a note of that. <laughs> Are you smuggling insult, sir? Don't judge me. I'm yeah. here to say Uh, So I actually uh, did some research uh, about about you and your brand. And you recently gave a workshop of the writing process. And I know uh, from the author's side that sometimes notes can be that conspiracy theories on the board with lines and through lines and all that. But what exactly that you'd like to share about your process you've discovered you hold on as you wrote more and more of these books?
0: So I think in terms of the process, for me, the most important part of the process is, is really revision. Um, so I'm, I'm not able to write a book correctly the first time. I don't know anyone else who is able to do that. So, um, you know, these books are almost a mystery to me when I'm writing them. So when I start out writing, I'm never sure exactly what the mystery is going to be and how it's going to unfold. I have to just sit down. There are some people that kind of think these things through and and can really see the outline in their head. I can't do that. So for me, It's a very tactile experience, almost sitting down, writing a a page or writing a couple of pages, writing a chapter and kind of figuring out where the story goes next. Um, But the important part is once I start to write, um, you have to keep revising. And I do revision both as I'm writing and then when I have a complete manuscript that I kind of think is okay, um, being able to go back myself and go over it and make huge changes and then giving it to my editor or other readers that I have and incorporating those feedbacks. And I find when I'm doing these ballpark mystery books, for example, the editor at Random House is going to have basically hundreds of changes to the manuscript, some small, some large. And um, you know, a really important process for me is, is uh, learning how to deal with those revisions and going back in there and still being excited. And I've really found that um, even though the revisions can be super frustrating sometimes, and sometimes they don't know how to address the concerns Um, the editor might have, I've learned there's always a way to do it. Sometimes you have to think out of the box. Sometimes you have to ask for help. Someone else, my wife, is a great resource in terms of how I get around roadblocks. Um, But there's always a way to make a fix. And those fixes almost always improve the quality of the book. They make it more interesting. They make it easier to read. They make the mystery more compelling. Um, so there's a lot of changes that you have to put into these books to really fine tune them, to make them compelling for other people to read. And I think that's where the real magic in the book comes from.
1: Well, I have to ask a follow-up question. And if I'm going too into, uh, the relationship, yeah. well, you can stop me here. What's that like? Cause I, I was, uh, a, a product of film school. Uh, where we did a, a, a cut of a film and we went to class and just got dragged for hours upon hours, <laughs> editing class and directing class and writing class, same film, by the way. Uh, yeah. There's that balance between, yeah, I'll do your notes and I'm an artiste, how dare you? Uh, do you get some chance to push back? Is it a balance or it's kind of like, no, we're in the studio, or in this case, we're the imprint, you do this or else what? Like, How does that work on your end?
0: You know, they do have the power. They're 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 the publishing company. They can put the book out or not put the book out. But I and I but I do push back. I but I I often find I don't have to push back. A lot of the times, um, a lot of times I'm neutral on changes. And if I'm neutral on change, I'm just going to go with whatever they suggest because the editor sees a broader swath of books than I see. You know, I you know I feel, I might feel that this passage or the sentence works well for me but I wrote the book. So, you know, she's someone coming at it from a fresh mind from an outside perspective. And as long as it doesn't cause problems, I'm going to take that change because I'm going to assume she's an outside reader and has a broader perspective than I do. There are occasions where um, I will push back if I feel strongly either about something that, that I really want in the book, whether it's a fact or kind of an impression or the way something is written Um but a lot of times it doesn't come to that. So I will go in and make the changes in most cases. And, um, you know, sometimes we have to have a discussion, but there's never been a problem we haven't been able to solve. Um, and in one or two times I just say, no, you know, we're going to leave it this way. And I think that that's fine as long as, you know, I take the rest of their changes. But, um, you know, you, you got you, you to give uh, you got to give some to get some
1: you are stronger than I, because 21 year old me was like, you don't understand true greatness. (laughs) Well, you know, I I think one of the things is, I think one of the things is that I, um,
0: one of the things that allowed me to write these books is that um, I didn't make them too personal. You know, my goal here was to create a, a, a story that would be a ballpark mystery, but there's lots of ways to do that. So I'm not sure that I have the single way or single approach to do that. So um, it wasn't really tied to me. So if they wanted a big change, like I'm open to it and I'll consider it because it wasn't, you know, my vision was for the general general series and the general idea. It wasn't for the specific instantiation of one character or one plot line or something. So, you know, if I need to make a change, I'm okay with that. I just want something that I feel at the end is going to be good and interesting and compelling. So, you know, I think we've gotten there with each of the books. Um, but perhaps if I had you know, one story that I wanted to tell, that I had a vision for, that I was more, you know, connected to, I might feel more strongly about, you know, fighting for certain um, approaches to taking, to delivering that story. Yeah, good, good idea.
1: Does it ever get old when a kid writes you fan mail and say, Hey, I, I love this. This is, this is like my goosebumps. This is my Harry Potter. Is it, is it
0: uh, weird? No, it, it doesn't get old. It's amazing. I was actually just at a, a book festival this weekend uh, down in Chappaqua New York and had teachers and librarians coming up to me and saying, you know, my, my second grade class loves these. Um, had a mom come up to me and said, my, my son wouldn't read. There was no way we could get him to read. And suddenly he found your books and he went through all 22 of them in in about two months you know thank you so much um i've got families that write to me that say they took a vacation based upon my books like the toronto book my characters go to niagara falls and they go to canada they go to hockey hall of fame and they go to a game at the blue jays stadium and i've got families that are doing that same trip because they want to emulate what my characters are doing um it's pretty cool it's it's fun to kind of see that feedback come from readers and fans and teachers about how the kids connect with the books and kind of what it sparks in them. And that's one of the things I love about writing this kind of level of books. These chapter books are really second, third grade. And it's right on a transition point where the kids have learned to read. Um, they can read books on their own, but they're not totally hooked into new books. And so this is a, a really pivotal transition point for, for them where they get hooked on a series and then they want to read a whole bunch of books by themselves. And then they can go on to older middle grade books and eventually YA books. But it's a really fun age to engage with.
1: Oh, it's a very critical time. Uh, not to make the show about me, but when I was a kid, I had the same thing. I was, I was yeah. at the advanced level of reading. I just didn't like reading because I didn't care so much to the comprehension questions afterwards. And right. so, I guess for me, it was Archie comics. Which I'm—I just turned thirty-seven this year. I'll still buy Archie comics at yeah. the grocery store because I was at that age where I got into it. So, yeah. uh, Duncan is my homeboy. That's, that's All right, I'm there you go. That. That's great. So, if uh, you have a new release coming up soon, the Black Cat Change-Ups, a New York Mets book, so you know it's going to be great. Uh, tell me more about that.
0: Yeah, so that's a that's a fun one. Uh, we we took a little bit of a different approach on it. It's a little bit longer than some of the other books, and uh, we've we've increased the amount of art in the book, uh, kind of doing it in a slightly different way. But it's a uh, it's a mystery book set in the New York Mets stadium. Uh, I did a Yankees book as a second book in the series and I actually covered the Mets before in a, in a book called the Subway Series Surprise, which is a Mets-Yankees book. But this is finally uh, finally a New York Mets-only book. And uh, it's called the Black Cat Changeup because I had a lot of fun doing research uh, in addition to the research I did at City Field. But there was a, a game back in 1969 between the New York Mets and the Chicago Cubs, um, a pretty important game toward the end of the season when uh, the, uh, the the Cubs were playing at uh, at the Mets stadium and a black cat wandered out onto the field and theoretically caused some problems for the Chicago Cubs and gave them some bad luck. They had subsequently lost the game and fell out of contention. The Mets went on to make it into the postseason, So it's kind of a big game in the, in the history, uh, in the Mets history. And I thought it'd be kind of fun to bring that uh, black cat back for this book. So the ghost of the black cat returns um, to the Mets field, but this time it's out to get the Mets. So um, that's what the core mystery of this book is. I had some fun with that. And there's some black cats that show up in the stadium that my characters, Mike and Kate have to figure out what's going on and who's doing it and how can they stop it?
1: Well, you know exactly what I'm going to pre-order after this interview. It's that one. <laughs> how, yeah. Let's yeah. go Mets. Cause you know, I, as a fan, it's kind of cool to see the no, grant It took them a while to get there. The organization actually embracing their history. You know, I think we're such a new team, relatively speaking. Great, the Yankees were kind of like, yeah, yeah, we won two World Series, but now we're actually seeing like these these kind of kind of lore uh, when it comes to that. So, uh, 2023. I, I I take it you're still doing baseball tourism. What's on the docket? What stadiums are you going to visit, research for fun or for work? Lay it on me.
0: Yeah. You know, I, I don't know. I don't have my plan next for, 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 for next year yet, but I did actually just go to a Milwaukee Brewers game a couple of months ago. That was, that possibly might be the next book. Um, I've had a lot of fans write me to write a Milwaukee Brewers book for some reason. So oh, yeah, um, it's a consideration. And I had a blast going to their stadium. I was kind of surprised. I was only there for a couple of days. I kind of thought, you know, Milwaukee, but um, the fans were great. The The games were exciting. The stadium was really nice. It was uh it felt a lot cozier than some of the stadiums you go to these days. Some of them are really large and just feel somewhat impersonal, but that one didn't for some reason. And um, I had a real blast going to the Milwaukee Brewers stadium and look forward to doing that. But I'm also going to start probably in the spring. I'll research the next book beyond that. And I'm not sure what it's going to be. Chicago White Sox, Pittsburgh Pirates would be an awfully fun book to write because I'd have a a pirate in there. I'm not exactly sure what, but there'd be a pirate, there'd be a treasure, there'd be a parrot. Um, Right. one. Um, I haven't done the Arizona diamondbacks yet. We put some snakes in the book that might be interesting. Um, and, uh, Padres, maybe they're hot, I guess this year. So we'll see what happens to them, but, uh, um, there's a lot of opportunities. So that's what I probably over the winter, I'll think about where I'll go next.
1: Yeah, this is my first year actually doing uh the baseball tourism thing. I did I did Arizona Diamondbacks, I did all the five uh California stadiums when the Mets are in town. Uh, oh, and, and next year I'm either debating doing Seattle, Colorado, or because it doesn't really this is rarely happens on Memorial Day, both the Cubs and White Sox are at home, which almost yeah. never happens on a holiday. So I was thinking about doing that and make a make a trip of that, going to Chicago or whatever. So it's kinda cool to see another person that actually does that kind of things too, because it does feel very like hop in the RV and travel the country, right? I'm going to go to all these Yeah, places. There, you know
0: what? There are, there are a lot of people that do it. And there's a great Facebook group called Ballpark Chasers. It's on Facebook. It's got like 60,000 people and- you know they're all trying to get to all the stadiums and if you've got questions you go on there and they give you all kinds of tips it's just an incredible resource and they're always posting pictures about their latest visits to different stadiums and it's a great place to find out what's happening and what's different what's new and ask questions and they even go to some of the minor league parks and other like other stadiums like that
1: Oh, wow. I'm going to check that out also after that, but I'm definitely going to pre order that book first. Uh, David A. Kelly, if someone wanted to connect with you or follow you or even ask you questions or send you fan mail, how to go about doing that?
0: Yeah, so there's a lot of ways you can do it. I'd, I'd say visit my website, which is davidakellybooks.com. And that's Kelly, K E L L Y. There's only one E in it, davidakellybooks.com. Uh, there's a lot of resources on the website. I've got actually teaching guides, uh, teachers' guides. Uh, and which are filled with activities for kids that have read any of the books. I've got videos on there. Um, there are some ballpark tours uh, that explain how I do some of the writing for the books and the research that goes into it. So those are kind of fun. And I've also got a couple of one-minute mysteries about some of the stadiums, the Chicago Rockies Stadium, the Colorado Rockies Stadium, for example. Uh, I've got a one-minute mystery on that's kind of fun to watch. Uh, but you can also connect with me on Facebook um, at Ballpark Mysteries or Twitter, uh, which is David A. Kelly or Instagram, which is David A. Kelly Books. So there's lots of different ways to reach me. Check check uh, for David A. Kelly or Ballpark Mysteries on any of your favorite social media platforms, and you'll probably
1: find me. Final question before we get out of here. Favorite player growing up and favorite player now?
0: Uh, favorite player growing up was Hank Aaron. Uh, hard, hard to beat him. Uh, I actually met him when I was younger. I got him to sign oh, wow. a baseball. Not this baseball, but I got him mm. to sign a baseball. So I have got a Hank Aaron signature. And that was really kind of a blast. And that's actually why in my latest uh, second to latest book or the latest book now is the Atlanta Braves, um, the Atlanta alibi book. I made it a Hank Aaron mystery. So Hank Aaron's um, famous uh, baseball and bat gets stolen from the Braves stadium. And my characters, Mike and Kate have to figure out what happened to them. So it was a lot of fun to kind of bring him back into the mystery series, given that I met him uh, when I was younger. So it was kind of cool.
1: Yeah. And player brave today?
0: Um you know, I'm looking for one. I don't have one at the moment.
1: <laughs> you, know, <laughs> you know, I, I respect that. Uh, when I was a kid, even though uh, I'm a lifelong Mets fan, I I was I wanted to be Frank Thomas uh, yeah. because he, he would come into to, to New York and smack around the Yankees and leave. And So yeah. I always bought in. Uh, currently, uh, Marte. Marte is my dude. He's just so okay. smooth with it. Yeah, smooth in the right field. So uh, I always ask that question for, for fanatics as well. But, yeah. uh, Dave, thanks so much for being on the show today. New Amsterdam, Ray, the podcast for creatives. A lot of people are listening to this and totally, be inspired by what you're doing, not only for yourself as a creative, but for the next generation.
0: That's great. Thanks. I've had a blast. Fun talking baseball, books, and uh, creativity with you. So good luck with all your endeavors and uh, good luck with things. Thanks so much for listening to New Amsterdam Radio. Learn more about the show at newamsterdam.com. That's K-N-E-W, Amsterdam.com. Until next time, this city is yours.